Welcome to the October 17th sermon from Clifford Baptist Church, 635 Fletcher's Level Road in Amherst. Today's scripture is John chapter 19, verses 1 through 16, and the sermon is entitled, The Trial of Pilate, delivered today by Pastor Michael Fitzgerald. Take your Bible, turn with me to the Gospel of John, chapter 19. The Gospel of John, chapter 19. We are taking another step forward in our marathon study through this book. If you are joining us for the first time here in person or online, we have walked through all 18 chapters. We are now working on chapter 19, headed toward the end of the book. The end is in sight now. In one way, I'm thankful for a study that is drawing down, but in another way, I hate to see it stop because I have loved and I've enjoyed studying the Gospel of John. Actually, as I sat down to begin to write this very sermon, I started by saying this, and I always handwrite my sermons first. So don't you think that I'm a computer guy because I am not. Every one of my sermons for nearly 40 years is in pencil uh, in my file cabinet. Uh, so I sat down with pencil and paper. It's the way I think and the way I can get my thoughts down. As I sat down with that pencil and paper this past uh, couple weeks ago as I studied this for the first time, I wrote down saying this, we're moving ahead in a complete study. And I had to back up and mark out the word complete. Now, it is true that we are covering every verse of the Gospel of John, but you and I could study this Gospel for a lifetime and we could hear the truth coming out of this gospel for a lifetime, but we will never exhaust the truth. We will never complete the study. There's always going to be truth coming from the gospel, and that is true for every word of the Bible. But these verses today should move your soul. In fact, I will go so far as to say this, whether you're here in person or sitting at home or out in a car on an FM signal, if this passage does not move your soul, Go back to square one and see where you are in your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. If you know him personally, this is moving. It's moving in what we will hear about the Bible's word on Jesus and what he did for us. It is incomprehensible that the very lamb, the very son, God himself laid his life down on an old rugged cross that you and I might have life everlasting a simple human sermon cannot do justice to these words of John today. And I can tell you if I preach uh, for the next 50 more years uh, on the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, I will never walk away from the pulpit feeling that I did it justice. Because it is so deep, it's so resounding, and it touch our soul in the deepest way. But today we open chapter 19. Now before we get there, let me back you up to chapter 18. Jesus was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. He was brought before the retired high priest whose name was Annas. And that old priest wanted to accuse Jesus of crime, a crime that was so deep that it would send him to the cross. But Annas failed. He could get nothing against the Son of God to accuse him of sin or accuse him of wrongdoing. Then Annas sent Jesus on to another trial to his son-in-law, and this is the sitting high priest of the day now in Jerusalem over all of Israel as the high priest. His name was Caiaphas. And so Jesus comes then before Caiaphas, the high priest. No one wanted Jesus dead more than Caiaphas did. 
No one wanted to develop a plan of murder against the Son of God more than Caiaphas because Jesus had shed life, had shed light on his godless life. Jesus had shed light on the fact that though he was the primary teacher of the Word of God in Israel, he did not know the God of that Word. Basically, Jesus said, you're a lost man. You do not know the truth of God, though you sit in the high uh, priest's seat. But while Caiaphas knew that if Jesus was going to get a death sentence, it had to be given by the Roman governor who was seated in Jerusalem. His name was Pilate. He knew he had to get him before Pilate. So Jesus is sent from Caiaphas onto Pilate with a death charge over his head. As Pilate examines Jesus, he knows down deep that this is a very unusual, innocent man. Pilate had never met him before. Pilate's a Gentile. He knew very little about this man who stood before him with a death sentence riding on his shoulders. But as Pilate begins examining him, he realizes there's something very different about this man than the common criminal who usually stands before me. And he knows that he's dealing with an innocent man. He knows it from the very beginning that there's no reason to kill this man because he had no sin against him. But as Jesus appears there and Pilate examines him, his first attempt is to free Jesus by offering the crowd of Jews assembled at that palace calling for his death, he offers them a choice. And he has the nastiest, vilest criminal pulled off of death row in the prison and brought before the Jewish crowd. An insurrectionist, a murderer, a man who had a string of crime in his life, so much so that he was sitting on death row. And Pilate displays Barabbas, the murderer, the insurrectionist, and Jesus to the crowd. And he gives them a choice that he thinks pretty obvious. Who in their right mind would choose this innocent man to die over a murderer that's convicted already? And so he presents them to the crowd. Make a choice. Which one of these two do you want to die? Amazingly, the crowd frees Barabbas. And chooses Jesus to die. Now when they free Barabbas, it doesn't mean they free him from the death penalty and he goes back to the prison. It means they free him completely. They release an insurrectionist and a murderer right back into their community. But they choose to allow Barabbas to go free and for Jesus to die. Now, we're shocked by that, aren't we? We're shocked that the Jewish crowd could make such an unwise choice. And yet, I want to remind you of this. While we realize that never should have been, I want you to look at our heroes today. And I want you to look at who the world chooses today. And you will see no difference in the crowd. The world this day chooses movie stars as their heroes Most of them live a life that's far off course, and many of them portray characters of the vilest kind. The crowd will choose musicians. And so often, in many cultures that listen to music of different sorts, the the musicians give lyrics that are absolutely filthy 
or musicians are away from the Lord while their music is wonderful, and I love a lot of it. It doesn't say a thing about Jesus. So I love, you know I love music, and you know I love musicians, but they're not my hero. The world will choose athletes, those who are good at a game, or good at something that they do athletically, and yet their lives are way off course. So the crowd is still choosing the sinner over Jesus. So while we're shocked by what we see with Barabbas and Jesus, it's still happening today. It's amazing to me, the crowd choosing sinners over Jesus the Christ still happens today. I pray it's different for you. I pray that you, whether you're here, listening by stream, realize that Jesus Christ is the hero. Jesus Christ is the Lord. Jesus Christ is the King. And He deserves our all. He deserves our honor. He deserves that we follow Him and Him alone. But as chapter 19 opens, we have a scene of two people now, Pilate, the governor, and Jesus, the prisoner, bound before him. Now, while Pilate is a man of political power in Jerusalem, you're also going to find out that he's a coward. Let's read the first 11 verses of John chapter 19. Keep your Bible open. I'm going to go a little farther, so keep your Bible open after this point. But hear these words, John chapter 19, verses 1 through 11. As Jesus stands before Pilate. Then Pilate therefore took Jesus and scourged him. And the soldiers plaited a crown of thorns and put it on his head. They put on him a purple robe and said, Hail, King of the Jews! And they smote him with their hands. Pilate therefore went forth again and saith unto them, Behold, I bring him forth to you, that ye may know that I find no fault in him. Then came Jesus forth, wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate saith unto him, to them, Behold the man. When the chief priests, therefore, and officers saw him, they cried out, saying, Crucify him, crucify him. Pilate saith unto them, Take ye him and crucify him, for I find no fault in him. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and by our law he ought to die, because he made himself the Son of God. When Pilate therefore heard that saying, he was the more afraid, and went again into the judgment hall, and saith unto Jesus, Whence art thou? But Jesus gave him no answer. Then saith Pilate unto him, Speakest thou not unto me? Knowest thou not that I have power to crucify thee and have power to release thee? But Jesus answered, Thou couldest have no power at all against me, except it were given thee from above. Therefore he that delivered me unto thee hath the greater sin. Let's stop there. From the get-go, Pilate does not want to kill this man. Pilate does not want to sentence him to death. He knew it was wrong. The idea to substitute Barabbas for Jesus failed. 
So he developed another plan. He says, I will have Jesus scourged. That was a brutal, inhuman beating with a lash of leather cords. Every one of those cords is tied off at the end with a piece of metal or a piece of bone. And every lash of that whip that went across the back and the buttocks and the legs of the man, it sank deep into the flesh. And when they pulled that lash out for the next one, it pulled flesh along with it. The word agony barely touches the pain of a scourging. In fact, many prisoners never lived through the scourging to get to the cross. It was so horrible. Well, afterward, the soldiers blasphemed Jesus with a crown of thorns. I want you to remember a verse in Genesis chapter 3, verse 18. God tells Adam, soon after he and Eve had fallen into sin, your sin has brought thorns to you. And I want you and me to realize today that our sin brought thorns to Jesus. The thorn of crown, the crown of thorns on his head, symbolic of our sin. The thorns that came to Jesus because of sin, much of it mine and yours. In addition to the crown, Jesus received a purple robe that was mocking him as some kind of king. They were not setting him up as king. They were making fun of him. Beatings with soldiers' hands. They bowed before him and cruelly mocked him. And they shouted to him in mockery, Hail, King of the Jews! But here's Pilate's plan now. After this scourging, crown of thorns, purple robe, the beatings that he went through. After the scourging and the humiliation of Jesus the Christ, Pilate then presents this severely beaten, almost unrecognizable man to the crowd. And he says, behold the man. And basically what he's saying in that sentence is, have pity on him. Look at him. Look at what he's been through. Look at the blood he has shed. Behold the man. And then he says, I find no fault in him. What an incriminating statement against Pilate. He knew he was innocent. I find no fault in him, and yet he had him scourged to please the crowd. How sad. He sacrificed the Christ in order to please the crowd. And yet the chief priests and the leaders keep pressing Pilate. Pilate, crucify him. Kill him. Chapter 19, verses 7 and 8, the Jews are screaming and they're pushing Pilate forward. He claims to be God, and because he claims to be God, our law says he has to die. And yet Pilate knows this is a gross injustice to kill this man. He's torn between what his heart is saying and what the crowd is pressing him to do. Now, don't forget that. He's torn between what his heart is telling him and what the crowd is pressing him to do. He's in that spot of the decision he needs to make. What I want you to understand here 
is that Jesus is not really on trial here. Pilate is. Pilate is the one on trial. He's going he's to make a decision. And the question is, in this trial, is he going to rule with his heart? Is he going to rule with what he knows is right? Is he going to rule as God has nudged him forward and that this is my son and he has no fault? Or will he side with the crowd and sacrifice Jesus the son? There's the trial. And there's the decision that's going to be made. And with this screaming, restless crowd outside, Pilate walks into his chambers with Jesus. Now it's just he and Jesus alone. And in frustration and even in conviction, he looks at Jesus and says, Who are you? And Jesus complicates Pilate's frustration because he doesn't give him an answer. Why is Jesus silent here? Two reasons. Number one, back in John chapter 18, verse 37, he'd already told him who he was. He didn't have to repeat that. Just minutes before, he had told him who he was. John 18, 37, Jesus said, I, I, I am a king. I am not a political king. I have no desire for your throne. I'm not going to bring an army and fight you and try to take your throne away from you. That's not the king I am. I'm the king of God's truth. And I'm the king of those who seek God's truth. I don't want your throne. You and I have nothing to fight over, Pilate. So Jesus had already told him who he was. But there's a second reason that he is silent here before Pilate. Because he's fulfilling Old Testament scripture. Isaiah chapter 53 verse 7. Write that reference down. Isaiah 53 7. This is what it says in prophecy of Jesus. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before his shearers is dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. So he doesn't answer Pilate because he had already told him who he was and secondly because he was fulfilling the scripture of prophecy about his life in that moment that he stood before the Roman ruler. But as he stands silent, Pilate, Pilate just loses it. He folds under the pressure of the loud and yelling crowd outside on the streets and this guilty man, and he realizes that I might proclaim him as guilty, but he's guiltless, he's innocent, he has nothing of fault in him. And yet they want me to call him guilty. And he says, don't you realize, looking at Jesus, don't you realize that I'm the one who has the power to kill you by crucifixion and I have the power to release you to freedom. Don't you realize that? And of course, in John 19, 11, Jesus says, what power you have is given to you by God. You are God's instrument here. Also, look at, if you want, if you have your Bible open, look at the last part of verse 11, John 19. It says, Therefore, he, was deli he that delivered me unto thee hath the greater sin. He that delivered me unto you, Pilate, has the greater sin. Who is that? A lot of people over the years have said it's Judas Iscariot, but it's not. It's Caiaphas, the high priest. The one who delivered Jesus to Pilate to be on trial. 
Pilate is a Gentile. He is an unbeliever. He's a pagan. He had never, word, he'd never read a word of Jesus' prophecy or the Scripture uh, as we know the Old Testament to be. He never read it. He didn't know it. But Caiaphas knew all the prophecies about the coming Messiah. He knew about his life. He knew about his birth. He knew where he would be born. It's there in the Bible. He knew so much of the prophecy about Jesus' life, and he knew this was the Son of God. He knew it down deep. Caiaphas knew it. He knew Jesus had a holy life. He knew he had a purpose. And yet Caiaphas worked for and pushed for the death sentence with a hard and a godless heart. Well, let's go on in Scripture. John 19, look at verses 12 through 16. And from thenceforth, Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out, saying, If thou let this man go, thou art not Caesar's friend. Whosoever maketh himself a king speaketh against Caesar. When Pilate therefore heard that saying, he brought Jesus forth, and sat down in the judgment seat in a place that is called the pavement, but in the Hebrew, Gabbatha. And it was the preparation of the Passover at about the sixth hour. And he saith unto the Jews, Behold your king! But they cried out, Away with him! Away with him! Crucify him! Pilate saith unto them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. Then delivered he him therefore unto them to be crucified. And they took Jesus and led him away. That touches my soul. Those simple words, they took him and they led him away. These verses show us that Pilate is in the ultimate dilemma here. In his heart, he knows there's no way this man should die. In fact, in Matthew's gospel, chapter 27, verse 19, even Pilate's wife sends a message to him saying, God has spoken to me, do not kill this just man. Listen, when Gwen sends me a message, I listen to it. (laughs) Pilate should have listened to her. God had spoken to her. Don't kill this just man, Pilate. But Pilate then hears the crowd getting louder and louder and more forceful out there in the courtyard. And he's in a corner. He has to make a decision. He sits down on the judgment seat. This is the place where capital decisions are made. So he sits down in that seat of sentencing. It was 6 o'clock in the morning. And here's another stressor on Pilate. The Jewish Sabbath is coming. Passover was coming the next day. And all death sentences had to be carried out and done within 24 hours. No man could be hanging on a cross when the Passover began. Had to be taken care of. Now, there was not an hour to spare in a decision to be made. I have to hurry up with this decision. So all of this weight is on his shoulders, and he turns one more time 
and he tries to free Jesus. Just before the moment of his final decision, he says to the Jewish crowd out there, Behold your king, implying, I will let him go if you ask me to. But now the crowd, in a fever pitch, yells and screams and demands, Away with him, crucify him. We have no king but Caesar. And in one final plea, John chapter 19, verse 15, Pilate says, Shall I crucify your king? He's crying for relief here. He's crying for a change of their hearts. He's he's crying for the crowd to change because he knows what is right. And they say, Your government is our ruler. We need no other king. And Pilate just collapses and he folds. And he gives in. And he senses Jesus to die. Instead of standing up for this innocent man, instead of listening to the promptings of God in his heart, instead of listening to his own wife's counsel about God speaking to her, he gives up, he gives in. Look at verse 16, 1916. Then delivered he him therefore unto them to be crucified. And they took Jesus and led him away. The crowd, the crowd won. The crowd won. And although God's perfect plan of the sacrifice of the lamb was carried out, Pilate will stand in eternity as being humanly responsible for the death sentence of the Son of God, Jesus Christ. He had committed the ultimate compromise. He decided away from his heart and went with the decision of the crowd. God lost, and the crowd won. You know, I prayed long and hard about this part of the sermon. What do I say next to you? You know, we can study the Bible... And we can delve into all the parts of the truth, but unless that truth touches us, then it's not a complete study. The truth has to say something to us in our life and our heart and where it points us from this point forward. What do we do with this truth? And here's what God has given me through this Scripture. You know, the crowd of unbelievers is still out there. The crowd who's calling for Jesus to be kicked out of the government and kicked out of our schools and kicked out of our lives. That crowd is still out there. And they're calling more loudly, more loudly every single day in our culture for God to be excommunicated from us. Do I hear an amen to that? It is absolutely true. And that means that you and I every day have to make the decision either for or against Jesus Christ. First and foremost as our Savior, but also then to follow Him every day in this very changing world. Every person is sort of in a position of pilot. We have to make a decision. And the lost and the ungodly crowd is crying for us to get rid of Jesus while the Lord God is working on our hearts saying, Follow me, follow me, follow me in salvation. Follow me in ministry. Follow me in your life. Follow me in the way I point you that I might give your life purpose and direction. That you would honor and bless me. 
And we have to make that decision in salvation, and we have to make that decision every single day that we follow him as a born-again believer. That is absolutely the truth, and the Lord Jesus Christ is reaching out to every person, asking, first of all, that he become our Savior and our King. Praise God that our baptistry is used often. But meanwhile, the crowd of the world is saying, you don't need him. Reject him for what he offers. Follow us on the wide path. Choose your own course. Be your own God. That's exactly what Satan said to Eve at the beginning of history. You can be your own God. The crowd still chants the same thing because Satan's toolbox is very small. He's using the same tools he did at the beginning of history. Or the crowd says, if you do accept Jesus as Savior, make it a minor commitment. You go to church when it's convenient for you. You go to church when some other activity doesn't call you out. You go to church when nothing else conflicts with your schedule. You go to worship God when it suits you. Friends, I want to tell you, God is worthy of our worship when it suits Him. And we need to worship Him in the spirit and the truth of Jesus Christ. But the world would love for us not to commit fully. Stay with the crowd. Straddle the fence. Give Jesus a little piece of your heart. You don't have to give Him everything you have. That hymn about, I surrender all. Is an old hymn. It's not needed anymore. Listen, friends, there are lots of pressure against Jesus out there. And when you and I walk out of this sanctuary, if you're streaming today, you walk out of your house or away from your car, you're going to face that pressure to compromise him, to walk away from him, to make yourself more important than his will for you, his will for me. We have to make that decision every single day. But Jesus says, put your hand to my plow and don't look back. Don't listen to the world. Don't listen to them calling out for you to compromise. Don't look back. It's all or zero with me. Give me your all. Every single believer needs to make that decision. And it is a decision that we make every single day of our lives. I pray that you and I will commit and recommit our lives to living solely for Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Will that be your decision today, believer? I pray that we will join each other, maybe some of us wanting to come to this altar to rededicate our lives to him, but it's all or nothing. Don't let the world win. Give it all to Jesus Christ, your Lord and your Savior. But today, if you've never come to Jesus, I want you to know that the world is really calling to you that you don't need him, that church is a waste of time, that worship is something that can be easily replaced with something else, with some other activity. But today is the day, if you have never come to Jesus, today is the day to make the right and the eternal decision. Let me tell you, Pilate knew the right decision, and he did not make it. Today, I believe, with God prompting our hearts, we know the right decision. We know what we need to do. We know that we need to surrender. We know that he deserves it all. But you have to surrender to him and lay it down, give him your sin, give him your life, and say, Lord, I am yours. I accept you as my Lord and my Savior, and I give you everything I have. Use me. I worship you. I honor you. I want to be a blessing to you. 
use me now that I might be a son or daughter that brings you honor and glory. Will that be your decision today? If you've never come to Jesus, if you're streaming with us and you've never come to Jesus, will you give him your all? Will you give him your heart? Will you give him your life? You know, the world calls out to us with many, many voices, but only you can make the final decision. Only Pilate could have made the final decision. Only you can make the final decision. Will you come or will you choose the crowd? Today is your day. If you want to come to Jesus to say, Lord, I give you my all. I believe that you died on the cross for me. I believe that you rose from the grave for me. And I give you my heart and I give you my all. It is the right decision. And he invites you in. Church home, whatever you need. Praise God he's with us today. Let's pray. Our Father, our God, as we meet before you in these precious moments, thank you, Father, for giving us the opportunity to come to Jesus as Lord and Savior. As we now progress through these passages of Scripture, Lord, my heart is moved once again to what Jesus did to buy my pardon. When the congregation was singing, holy, 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 before I walked into that baptistry fully, Lord, I was filled with your, a sense of your presence with us, a sense that your glory was rising from us. I pray that you will give us a sense of your presence now, not just here in the house, but wherever there is a person listening on streaming, wherever there's a person tuned in by an FM signal. Lord, make your presence known. Knock on hearts change lives bring salvation and grace to that one who needs you bring we who are believers closer to the throne bring us closer to your will bring us closer to living that life that honors you draw us in Lord thank you Father that you allow us to choose Jesus as our Savior the crowd outside of these doors calls for us to compromise him every single solitary day before we walk out before we cut off the computer I pray today we will rededicate our lives to living for you and you alone bless us in this very holy moment I pray in Jesus name Clifford Baptist Church invites you to join us for worship every Sunday morning at 11 a.m. For more information about our church, please call our church office at 434-946-0555.